This is episode number 58 with Patrick Natilli. Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 21-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, you and I will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not, so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our vision of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. All right, episode number 58, we are here, we are live, and you may remember Patrick Natilli from episode number 38. He is back today. My best pal is back, and it's always a good conversation talking to him. Last time in episode 38, it was us talking about some very taboo topics like suicide and whatnot, and it got a big response. This time we talked about eye language and the narcissism spectrum, as well as can we or can we not squash our egos? How do we do that? We talked about validation seeking. He told us what his self-talk sounds like when he is validating other people and being genuinely interested in them because Patrick is really good at making people feel good. We talked about all sorts of biases like the false consensus bias and the self-serving bias. We talked about all this and much more. And now without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Patrick Natilli. I bring you here because you are always a guarantee for awesome conversation. I appreciate yeah. that. Now the first thing I want to talk about is something that we had talked about pre-show, pre-recording, it is the use of eye language. Oh, yes. I've been thinking about this concept a lot lately because, you know, as, as I obviously sounded like in the last podcast and as I promote, you know, I'm really into communication and all the different facets of it and what all these different things mean, right? And so I was just I was hearing myself talk one day and I realized that in, that in that day's conversation or at least in that last conversation where I had the epiphany, I was really, I was really thinking about, wow, holy shit! Like I just talked about myself and said the word I. Like I did this. I went to the store. I achieved this today. Like I, I repeatedly used the word I so many times. I sat back and I was like, is that right? Like is it like is that, is that a good way to communicate with people? You know, like is that really the best way to kind of have a conversation? And so I started thinking about like kind of the implications of that, and what I what I've come to find is that you know more often than not the the people who are using statements a lot of i statements and not many questions about you you know so that's that i versus you type of thing again they're they're usually farther on the spectrum for for narcissism and stuff like that you know and a lot of people have the idea of narcissism as this I'm so into myself, like in terms of physical, you know, you have the, the, the story of him looking in the, in the river and looking at himself and dying from looking at himself for so long. But really what narcissism is, is this lack of understanding of other people and kind of this egocentrism where it's so, where it's, you only see I, because you don't even realize that there's a, another, you know, there's not, there's no you or we, it's really 
focused on I. So, you know, classic narcissist will really never ask questions about other people. So you can kind of use this when conversing with people, like notice how many times they're using these I type of statements and how often are they really talking to you and asking about you. Because it's going to give you some insight on the type of person that you're dealing with, you know, and, and it'll give you at least to some degree an idea of whether they care about other people or you specifically and, and really just let you know where their where their thoughts are lying. And um and I think I think it just it's really revealing. Like have you ever had you know, have you ever had a, a, a time where you really feel like you were just like like not asking enough about another person. Like oh, you yeah. caught yourself like just like feeding it all into someone and, and not really getting much back from them in return. A hundred percent I feel like that I can think of a couple of people right off the bat that I'd felt like that with in the past week where I had not been sort of reciprocating enough in getting them to open up and I, I was using too much I and mm-hmm. talking a little bit too much about myself and not really asking them, you know, what do you think or, mm-hmm. you know, something that's, yeah, sometimes, and, and then sometimes I even, sometimes I even apologize. I'll just be like, I'm sorry. I talk way too much. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I'm talking way yourself. too much about myself. Like I want to talk about you, you, you. Like there's and just like, some people I, who just say, don't I literally catch say that. that. Yeah. Like there's people who just don't catch that within themselves. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't realize that like, holy shit. <laughs> like I haven't asked this person how their day was or, or anything about that. And I think that's just such an important facet of communication. You know, I, I really think that that communication is really meant to be about the other person because you know like when you're by yourself like you can think about all the stuff that you do all the time you know you can be like holy shit I got first place in that race and, and you know and pat yourself on the back in your head but once you add that other person like that other variable I feel like you're supposed to be like you know wondering about them or like asking them about them because if not like you know what you did you can keep that internal and you can talk about you can have inner self-talk with that you know you don't really need to be go and spit an eye on someone else like you should try to figure out what this person's kind of got going on with their day and stuff like that you know well why do we feel the need to spew everything Mm -hmm. about ourselves I feel as if and I could be wrong I feel as if in males this is more prevalent they want to more muscle up and, and show how great they are a lot of the times. And eye language can get out of control. And you can see when two males, I mean, you see two guys getting in fights at the bar all the time. But it's just two, two very large egos uh-huh. in one presence. And it's a little bit too much. There's two all too much I language and not enough you. Mm-hmm. And it leads to some problems sometimes when it a match of two people that use too much I yeah, are like, matched together like and find themselves in a social situation. Each other, you know? there's, mm. there's no way to understand the you if it's all about, it's all about I. And <laughs> so like such a, uh, like a classic like Buddhist, I don't even know, uh, cliche type of thing. But... I think uh, I think you're right. When it comes to self promotion with male men, men really like to lay it all out on the table a lot more often, and it's kind of like with that just a whole. It's like a whole attention seeking uh, kind of behavior. Yeah. And it's like it's like with for, with women, you know, and like with with different species, you know, you see like birds who spray and show off the special like colors of 
feathers only when they're in the presence of the female that they're trying to court and stuff like that. It's like people just want to put it out there so they can be seen. It's almost like a mating ritual in a way. You know, I really, I really am high bound on this view of humans in, in an animalistic way and, and, you know, and adhering to the same things that we view, you know, with mating rituals and, and stuff like that with looking at other species, like why would that not apply to us as well? So I really have been trying to view humans through that kind of like animalistic, like evolutionary type of lens, you know? But I want to talk about peacocking actually, because that's something I'm doing right now. That's something oh, I yes. do. Yeah. <laughs> something I do a lot. I'm in a, I'm in an orange dad beach shirt right now with a huge, <laughs> a huge, a huge rainbow colorful pendant that I found at some art festival and a couple other colorful bedazzled jewelry pieces on me yeah. as well and it's very intentional you know and, and and everything we do you know people say I don't know why I posted that picture like stuff like that like there is very clear intention with the way that we present ourselves because we are so hyper conscious of our presentations at all times like there's I don't know if there really is people out there who don't give a fuck like, they say they don't give a fuck how they look and they say they're gonna walk out the house like and not really yeah. get too prepped up but like, how true is that? You know, I really think that all people, to some degree, are really conscious about self-presentation. So one thing I've kind of taken upon myself that has worked for me in so many wondrous ways is trying to peacock everywhere I go. Even if it's at the gym, you know, I'll wear gym clothes that are just even so like matched and on point. And it's and it's a, it's an attention-seeking behavior, but it helps you stand out also. You know, and in terms of like say you know. If I was single or something like that, because I got my beautiful girlfriend now. <laughs> if if I was single, you know, I, I'd be peacocking in the bar mm -hmm. strategically to to be sought and to be seen and, and and to be wondered about because you know why is this guy wearing this super rainbow colored shirt? You know, and amongst people who are wearing black, black and white and exactly. stuff like that, and just it just makes you stand out in in various ways to them, right? And so I just, I like to do it. And you know, and now, and now I've been playing around with like glasses, like I'm wearing some glasses right now that are peacocky in their own way. And I've been serving at Carabas and going one day without the glasses, one day with the glasses and seeing like how my different presentations affect people's, you know, opinions and stereotypes about me and just the way that they get their first impression and judgments out of me. And the things that we wear, even just the slightest little accessories really shape that those first impressions and those and those perceptions and interpretations so significantly so i've yeah i've taken you know advantage of this and i just try to manipulate it as i as i can for the better and and sometimes you know not everyone thinks the same piece of jewelry looks so pleasant or something like that so it doesn't always work but i at least get go for the attention try to get spark the attention and then once i can create you know a personal conversation and maybe the person had indifferent feelings about me before at least I was able to attract them with the peacock, talk to them, and then create, you know, the friendship or the networking type of thing that I was looking for. So I, I always say to go for the peacock. You gotta stand out. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. There's seven million people in the world and you know, like you said at the bar, everyone's wearing black and and gray <laughs> and, black and, and white and <laughs> and you gotta biologically the men are the the, the providers, the hunter-gatherers, and so I guess it goes sort of back to demonstrating that higher value mm -hmm. and standing out a little bit to get the female to notice you. 
talking about peacocking and, and going back to the book the game that you had showed me <laughs> two years ago or so there was a lot of good and i think a lot of not bad but things that really shouldn't be so attended to out of that book you know like i heard brian Definitely. i heard brian on on one of the last podcasts where we were talking about the three second rule and he said oh fuck that shit man and he's <laughs> right that's one of those things that like it's kind of true like a girl really could probably and the first impression in three seconds that she sees you just consciously and subconsciously determine whatever your like you know orientation territory is but you don't need to act in that three seconds or it's not it's not all going to be over you know if you don't act or something like that so that's like one of the things that shouldn't be so focused on but i thought peacocking was a very good takeaway from that book and i also thought the neg was probably the the number one thing that i got out of that book and for my ladies out there who might be listening you love the neg whether you want to or not it is it is a form of communication that somehow sparks something weird psychologically in with us basically to define the neg it's like a backhanded compliment right so it'd be like oh, you looked so good last night at the bar if only your butt had been a little bigger the dress would have fit you so much better <laughs> <laughs> like, like something like that like you know there's hey, that's well, a little extended yeah, yeah. Here, here's another one too then i can think of one off the bat uh you know i Hey, really, that's a really nice dress. I just saw another girl wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you hit him with this dose of dopamine from the positive compliment, and you come in with this like subtle, not so bad that you're never going to be able to talk to her again, but something just bad enough to kind of like negate what you, the positive thing you just said. And I just, when I read it, it made no sense to me. It was associated with like this cocky, funny style of, yeah. like, of courting women, which I've seen work in the bar so many times, you know, you got your classic frat boy, like, you know, not the brightest, but just so loud, so confident, so dumb, funny, just funny in a dumb way, you know, and doesn't give the girl everything that she wants, you know, makes her, makes it seem like he's not fully, you know, compliments her and then hits her back with the, like, kind of like the, you build him up and you break him down type of thing, like, seen that work, so I was like, maybe there is something with the neg, but you know, I'm not like, I'm not out here, like, trying to play all these little, like, nuances of the game and like no. work them in the real life you know i just kind of like read it and then it happened you know naturally throughout the years after it like i'd, I'd naturally say something along the lines of that and i feel like if anyone's like curious like <laughs> you should read up on the neg because there's something psychologically that people can't help like i i think it entices me even outside of like romance like if someone that i look up to or something tells me that i was like good and, but I could have been a little better or something like that. Mm. Like that's going to stimulate me even more. You want to qualify yourself. Yeah. It, it just makes you want to qualify yourself and, and qualifying. And, and what did you say? The other word was a, a resume. The, the, oh, the word resume word. statements. Resume statements, qualifying statements, resume statements. They're so um, prevalent, you know, throughout, throughout interactions. You know, we are constantly trying to qualify ourselves to someone because unless you're like, got some deep pathology there's always gonna be someone that you think is deserving like you want to be you, you respect and admire something about them like they are in some way in your mind superior to you maybe not like you don't see them as like someone actually superior but you want to qualify yourself to them because you're you want the respect and, and their attention and, and stuff like that there's so, there's certain ways that people say things to me sometimes where i go oh qualifying statement like you know like i'm i'm interacting with like maybe like a younger kid or something like that and they say they were gonna go out last night 
but you know, like I, I had some like that, they, like my, I had to go pick up my mom. But you know, I totally would have been out there, man. And like we would have gone so, we would have had so much fun. Like there's just these things that like it's like they're doing to try to redeem their confidence and redeem their respect from you and and, and the and the desirable kind of interpretation. And I see it, and now I just I like whenever it's like my brain kind of like says it to me. It's like I'm talking to people. And then they say something, and my brain's like, "Oh, that was a qualifier." <laughs> like, like it's just—it's like I've just—I've just been like—I've just been picking up on little things, and it might not even always be that, but it's like my brain is now kind of interpreting communication in that way. It's like dissecting it down to these fine details. I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Once you start reading about this stuff, and especially that book that I'm reading uh, about the, the human behavior, behavior. yeah. yeah. It's just, you start to notice things. It's like, it's literally learning. But then there's people language. who argue and say that you're looking too deep into it, man. Mm-hmm. Like these little, these little nuances yeah. of human behavior, they don't all mean this type of shit. And you, and you can argue that and you can wonder, you know, what, what type of physiological things are happening beneath the skin and beneath the surface to make that digital clench or you know or that the way you turn your hands inward or and supposedly mm. close off your communication mm. or open them up you know you could someone can argue that like, oh maybe some other type of blood flow or re- reaction or something is happening but i would love to say and i think it's mostly true that you know the, the body non-verbally is speaking at all times you know and and to the people who think that we're like psychologists and and nonverbal communication, you know, experts and stuff are looking too deep into it. I think it's just the other way around. It's like those people are just too, too blind to it. Like they're not looking enough into it because they would clearly see some of these connections uprising in their everyday interactions and stuff like that, you know? Definitely. Well, okay. So what is interesting though that I want to get to is the narcissism spectrum because I heard something, I happened to hear something either yesterday or the day before, that with all of this social media, I believe I heard it on Joe Rogan from someone. It might have been Russell Brand. I Please don't quote me on yeah. that. But narcissism, and there are studies on this. I don't have them. I haven't seen them. I've only heard. This is anecdotal heavens <laughs> yeah. for me. But narcissism has been steadily rising since the 70s I did hear with the advent like of yeah. the internet and now social media. And it, I think it really is. I think even I have a problem. I think I do. Oh yeah, me and my girlfriend laugh all the time and I talk because I talk about the different forms of narcissism to her. And then, she, and then I'm like, maybe I'm a little narcissistic. And then she'll look at me and be like, maybe. And I'm like, nah, like a healthy one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But then we always differentiate because, you know, a real narcissist doesn't have empathy for others. It's really egocentric and, and it's very hard to, uh, for them to imagine in our person's perspective. And I feel like I'm always curious of others and I'm always trying to look at my actions from the other person's perspective. So that's how I know. I'm like, we're all there somewhere on the spectrum. You know, there's a spectrum of low to high and, and so everyone's laying somewhere on the spectrum. No one gets away from it. There's, everyone's going to have some slight qualities. But I feel like the increase in narcissism is not an absolutely horrible thing. It may not be a beneficial thing or a good thing, but you know they, they talk about three main forms of narcissism. And I'm really not well informed on these, so I'm not gonna go into too much detail, but you basically got like the healthy, okay narcissist that can persist in everyday life and isn't causing too many problems from their narcissism. Like, yeah, they're indulging themselves. 
most of their conversations talk about me, me, me. I just bought this. I'm going to do this. I'm looking forward to this type of conversations. But they're not, they're not a... Uh, More eye language. A pervasive, yeah. It's a lot of eye language, but they're not like a pervasive like issue. You know, like they might not be a good person to be around, a good person to communicate, but they're not out there like doing things badly to other people because of this lack of empathy and egocentrism. But then you have like the catonic narcissists who are who can be very like lethal and you know and this is where a lot of the killers the sociopaths are boxed into because they don't have that empathy there's usually an aggression component to their narcissism where there's there's some type of lack of inhibition of aggression and and they're much more um i guess they aggressively act in society they're narcissists that act much more aggressively on society itself than kind of the passive narcissist and then there's a third form of narcissism that I'm not I'm not too fond of. I actually think that it's just a, a actually more enhanced version of that aggression, and it's something even deeper than just like maybe that's where the killers are, are boxed into. And, and, and there's there's a third form, but you know, not all narcissism is essentially the end of the world. You know, I have many friends that I would consider somewhere pretty high on the spectrum of narcissism, who I still like as people. And I still hang out with and, and, and can enjoy their time. I just know not to expect, you know, anonymous person to ask me about my day or care about what I've got going uh, on. So it's like I've been expecting that and I'm hanging out with them for other reasons other than that. But that brings you back to another thing is can people really hang out with other people for like new, you know, type of benefit? You know, it's like if people love to say that they're not like using other people at all like to, to some degree but you know there's like there's things called like affordances right and it's people as opportunities or people as threats like that's what the concept of, of affordances in social psychology pertains to and so, you know you see a person as a threat or as an opportunity and you know it's like it, it really makes you wonder like is it really possible to have a friend who you really really care about who you don't see some type of opportunistic like connected idea associated with them you know like it's like i hate it because it makes me think that i'm this you know this sociopathic person but i know that i'm not and i know that this is like one of those things of human nature that's just kind of there it's just like everyone's got some little bit of it at least and it's just Sometimes it's even validation, just something as simple as Yeah, yeah, something as simple as emotional kind of supplementing yeah. someone and stuff like that. But it's like there's Which, always something, you know? But, I mean, yeah, I mean, relationships and friends are so important to our health. I mean, I think we should be looking for that. It's like, okay, it's like a just, it's justified because like we need their, we need their interactions so badly almost. But there, I mean, okay, so there is a lot of narcissists, mm -hmm. and narcissism is probably increasing. You know, with social media in today's digital age, how do we squash our egos? Because it's really hard. We've got this, we're cyborgs with this phone attached to us all the time, and, and a lot of us think the world revolves around us, and, and it's hard to see from other people's perspectives a lot of the time. How do we squash that, that problem, that ego, in a way? You know, it's really sad that they say about narcissism that they, they usually the specialists on narcissism say it's actually almost not impossible but pretty damn near impossible to take a narcissist mm. and completely eradicate them from that system of thinking it's like they they almost make it sound like it's genetic but it's really it's not i my beliefs is not so much genetic as it is you know an interaction of nature and nurture but 
it's really hard. You end up actually just conditioning the narcissist to a kind of conditioned pattern of thinking that they don't really feel naturally, but they, they know that they need to fall. Like they, they have to th like rearrange their, it's kind of like cognitive um, re-schema. Re what is it? Cognitive behavioral therapy? Nah. Basically reshaping people's schemas uh, in their cognition patterns and stuff like that, right? So, you know, for your common, you know, social media problem that we're talking about, where how can we kind of combat this increase of narcissism? I really think that people need to just like, we need to like make it like a very prevalent message in society to, you know, like watch out for the over like when you notice how often you're looking at your profile and oh, how often like you're comparing yourself to stuff like to other people you know like kind of account for how much time a day you're really spending like doing those type of things like looking at your profile over and over again and obsessing over the likes and obsessing over other people and comparing yourself to them and who's got the better life you know I think that's like one of the main ways to kind of at least catch it and at least like maybe see where you're lying on that kind of spectrum of self-indulgence but in terms of like curing it it's so sad to say but i just don't think <laughs> i don't think we've come up with something that's like a very hard fix for it like i i i respect the clinical psychologist so much because for people to try to help i don't want to say fix other people but you know help re-engineer them and their frame of thinking for humans to be so defiant and usually stuck in their like mental ways and just in their ways in general like it takes some true dedication and and intelligence to be able to be in a field where that's like what your debt like your job is is try to help some facilitate someone to become better. Like I just God bless the people that are in that field because it's not the realm of psychology that I want mm -hmm. <laughs> that I want to pursue in. And that and that kind of leads me to a point where it's it's very funny that you know I talk to so many people about my just graduating with a psychology degree. And the go-to from 95% of people who are well-educated is, oh, so you'll be like talking to people about their yeah. problems? And everyone just has this classic leather couch idea when they think of psychology. And psychology is like, it's not, it's a new science in terms of like mathematics and, and you know, biology and stuff like that. But psychology is becoming a well-established science. And it's just so sad that we're still like, the you know, the public is still this, uh, unaware to the sub the multiple sub disciplines and all the advancement that's taking place in just the last 100 years of psychology you know they're just the more and more fields just keep opening up because it's like you know, it's connected to everything and so i always just think Definitely. it's so funny that how many people give me that response when i tell them i just graduated a psychology degree so it's like uh, the the field of psychology has so much potential for the next you know, generations to come. And that's why I always just promote so many people to go down that path for at least their bachelors and get some type of idea because the mind is, you know, the most complex organism in in the body. And that's the last like frontier almost. Like we, we're still finding new stuff out about the gallbladder and our, and our stomach and stuff like that every day. But the mind I think is always gonna be this deep, deep complex thing that we're constantly gonna be trying to figure out. Hey everybody, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor today, Anchor. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, when I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts and all the other places people like to listen? 
How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every single one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, it is 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid to podcast. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing so, then go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. And I can't wait to hear your podcast. And now back to the show. I'd be so curious to see you as an interviewer. Oh, I'd be a great interviewer. Really? Because <laughs> um, I have such, I have such, Megan says it the best. I'm so unpredictable. Uh, yeah. I, have, I have the best to spontaneous questions. Like, like who thinks of this nonsense? <sighs> the hell would you ask me? <laughs> it would just be something so random that you weren't expecting. What would a eight-year-old Jordan look on this time? And like, uh, like, there's something so like randomly specific. Like, like what would make you think that? <laughs> that'd be fun. But I guess that but. gets back to like the power of questions in a way. Ooh, you know, because there's <laughs> there's there's a lot that come with questions. You know, with questions you find answers. But <laughs> yeah, that's the cliche. No, that's yeah. uh, I'm being cliche there. That's why I went for the whole. Well, that we should be as anti cliche as possible. Like, there's someone that we know, and we're not going to name names. But you you said it like this. Like that person just is cliche. Like the word defined. And this embodied. person, everything that comes out of this person's mouth is just. Cliche. It's right it's, out of a fucking fairy tale. It's so. Uh, but I, I find questions an interesting topic because I don't know if I heard this quote or if I if I thought about it one day when I thought about how important questions are. But I always said I've said it to myself for years. Said you can always judge a man by the questions that he, or, or man or woman by the questions that he or she asks. You know, I think that is much more revealing into their insight and into their character and kind of their overall being than the general statements, the I statements, and the general things, like statements that are coming out of their mouths, you know? I think the questions that a person asks you and that you see a person ask in general gives a lot of information about what they want to know, you know, who they really are, what they're seeking after. It just gives you more, like, kind of concrete detail about them, you know? And, you know, smart people ask smart questions, and, and questions just... Questions lead you places. Like, I feel like questions are kind of that's like almost defines the human species. Like I'm sure I'm sure other species of animals are curious, but I don't know if they're consciously like asking the question and then storing the answer to their head and having this memory bank of, of stored knowledge. You know, like questions almost like are what save and what make humans so functional, you know, and just make us so able and, and just so questions are such a powerful thing, you know. I agree. Like like interviewing, like that is such it's a an fun, art. yeah, it's such a fun art form, exactly. And asking good questions, like that takes practice and is an art form as well. Like you have to kind of like, you know, like you ever like, you know, you do the current events like in school and you do the who, what, when, where, why, how, like, yeah, like that's like the, that would be like the basis of how the format for it. So it'd be like, who, what was it about? You know, and that's like how the whole current event was kind of structured. And I thought to myself one day, I go, is there really more, any more like, beginning for our subject formations for questions aside from those like six w's and the h you know the who what when where mm. how why 
Like I thought, I've tried to think to myself so many times, like how many other subject materials or like ways can you phrase the question, you know? And so then it almost makes you think that there's a limitation to asking questions. Like you can only ask so many types of questions. You're totally right, dude. I just went to my canned question bank, yeah. like the questions that I rely on in interviews when I, when I lose, when I lose my train of thought. Yeah. And every single one of them has a form one of, of those that. Words. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And and I've been perturbed and I've been stuck on that for so long, and I, it really has just made me like try. Like I'm, I, you know, the, uh, the, there's like uh, there's a certain occupation, some type of theorist theory based occupation where you know people are really. They're trying to create questions. Like their job is to come up with really good questions. A questionnaire, we'll yeah. call it. Yeah, a questionnaire <laughs> with a U E E R. <laughs> but uh, that's that's funny. But um, like an engineer. I mean, yeah, I've been trying for so long to create questions outside of those subject matters. It's almost it's impossible because I haven't I, you know, I haven't been able to do it. So that's 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 a little it's <laughs> a little homework lesson. Well, yeah. Try to try to come, audience try to come up with a question beyond those the who what when where why how. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, tr- oh, you're t- you're tr- yeah you're yeah. Oh, well, not you. That's they, tough. You know, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like if someone taking home this is like thinking like what the fuck are they talking about like. Go think about it yourself and, and let me know. Send me an email. <laughs> P.Nutelli at <laughs> yahoo.com. <laughs> you have a question that doesn't involve that. Yeah. Well, that's, so a couple of things. Of course, Tony Robbins says the quality of your questions determines the quality of your life. Uh, a, a chapter in that's my book, one. there's a whole chapter five, I think, is all about questions. And then there's this kid named Austin. My friend, Dr. Roger Welton, back on the other side of Florida on the space coast uh, near where you know near Cocoa Beach where mm-hmm. the where they do where it. the plane yeah. not the planes but <laughs> the rockets, <laughs> the rockets go off. I, saw, I saw one of the last ones go off oh, like 10 years ago when they stopped cool. the NASA yeah. our dad took us down there and I, I remember it was cool but anyway this this Dr. Roger's son Austin he asks kid asks 80 some questions per day yeah. and he He's, his whole thing, his whole driving force is questions and curiosity, getting answer to those questions. And he even went so far as to ask me, Jordan, he's 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. A- How many questions do you ask per day? I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, well, one day I counted and it was 88. Oh, my God. I was like, wow, that's really good. And I don't know. Questions are good. You know, sort of like what we're yeah. talking about now. And this kid just asks questions all day. Like that is his form of conversation. And it's always good conversation with him. And I always enjoy spending time with him. He's one of my favorite younger human beings on the face of the planet. He's <laughs> yeah. really cool. One time he asked me, there were, and there was a follow-up question to this, but we were out in a kayak, a two-person kayak, out on the middle of the bay. Like right in the middle of it, and which is kind of like dumb because we get run over by a boat. And because it was the sun, so the sun was setting. We're watching the sun set in the middle of the bay on that on that kayak. Um, and he asked me this question. His his questions range. Here, this is the the pre the the preface to it. You know, his questions range from you know very intelligent questions to very funny questions. And but he asked me, Jordan. 
do you know what a wet dream is? <laughs> and that was my response. What you yeah. just did. And his follow-up question was, I eventually said yes, you know, yeah. I do know what it is. And, he's, and he goes, well, have you ever had one? <laughs> like, the like, kind dude, of wet dream we're talking I'm about like, here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, we got, we got two types of those. <laughs> I actually that, that that's a good segue to bring me to something I kind of just want to talk about that I don't have answers to that I think is a very interesting topic in terms of physiology and, and anatomy and stuff like that and you know that's dealing with you know wet dreams in terms of you know ejaculation you know there's just this weird couple for me once in a blue moon where you wake up and suddenly you know you ejaculated <laughs> in your dream and you're like you're just like what how the hell did that happen I guess it kind of felt like it in a way kind of feels like peeing sometimes but I've been so curious because you know I've always made it a rule for a long time you know obviously kids start masturbating at a young age and I learned really young that you know if I masturbated in the morning I was guaranteed most of the time gonna be pretty tired and lacking mm. like tea that the rest of the day you know I always felt have you noticed that? yeah I I, I perpetrated you know, it was a learned behavior there have been so many times where I had baseball practice or something to do physically enduring after that later on that day I never felt and I, who knows if it's placebo I really doubt it I never just never really felt like on top of my game and I tried I tested this a million times and eventually just gave up I was like I can't do this in the, in the beginning of the day anymore you know classic good old early shower <laughs> you know before school or something <laughs> so then it led me to think because you know obviously I've had sex and you know had some consistent well, one really consistent girl <laughs> in my life and I now I now do that in the morning and it's, and it's a different type of ejaculation you know and I'm not I never experienced that same tiredness you know I'm at the gym I'm pumping it out and sometimes I even feel you know better and you see the studies you know they always talk they talk about like the oh don't have sex before the night before the big game and then all these studies have been conducted and it's been found that if you have sex like the night before that it actually increases testosterone the following morning and stuff like that so like in concordance with that like it just made me start wondering like is there a difference in hormonal type of you know fluctuations and chemical balances when you ejaculate by yourself via masturbation versus when there's a presence of a woman, you know, is there some type of biochemical interaction taking place, you know, because you know, we are biochemical beings, and that's what we are, we are these biochemical machines. So I've been so curious after now having this, kind of been testing this for some years, like, I want to know if there's anything different in the type of, you know, chemical, kind of biochemistry to take going on. And then I also want to know, so this is the inner researcher inside of me, like, would the same thing apply to, like, you know, homo, uh, homosexual acts, you know, like would man on man increase testosterone after ejaculation throughout the day or would it d decrease, you know, is it the presence of those female pheromones and female, you know, vaginal chemicals or whatever it is that she could be possibly releasing and we could be intaking into our body, hmm. is that having some effect? Because psychologically, I 100% without a doubt can notice the difference between self-masturbation versus presence of woman. I yeah. do one. 100% agree. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's very, very different. And I don't, very similar to you, I don't feel that tiredness when it's real versus yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when it's, yeah, yourself. Like, I, it's, it's pretty, 
you know, I f- feel that effect definitely. And then I meet guys who who you know say the opposite, like, no nah, man, what? I love doing mm. in the morning. You know, like I never I never feel tired. In fact, I might feel even better throughout my day. And I don't know if that's like. You know, again, placebo and just perception, or maybe there is individual differences in the way that ejaculation affects the after biochemistry and stuff like that. But that's just one of those things that's been probing my mind, you know, and I, I just, I wish, you know, there's so many different fields of life that I wish I just had a doctorate in that I could yeah. just do research in legally and get it funded. <laughs> well, here's the thing. What's really, now where it gets interesting, where the lines start to blur for me is when going back to those wet dreams, you know, on the days that that, on the times that that happens overnight, like I don't feel, I don't feel that tired okay, effect yeah, throughout I, the day I agree. at all. Yeah, Not I at all. Like well. I, I don't feel it. And so it, it's funny how the mind works. It's almost like real. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, I, I uh, so uh, dreams are just one so, of those yeah. crazy aspects of life, and I've dreamt. Luckily, I'm very thankful. There's plenty of people who, you know, people have different perspectives on dreams. My like, my girlfriend prefers not to dream. Like she thinks that she thinks if she goes to bed and doesn't dream, she's happier that way because then she doesn't take the chance of like having the jealousy or anxiety based dreams and stuff like that. And then there's other people who wish they could dream but just don't remember any of the dreams. And you know, science says that they are dreaming, you know, the REM, the delta waves and things are being activated but they're just not re- remembering it, you know. But regardless, you know, people have different types of views on dreams and I personally have had such a deep, you know, visual realm in my dreams for my whole life that I've always found it to be this interesting, like, cool little world. Like, it's not always, you know, a happy, safe place. Like, no. I have the anxiety and jealousy dreams all the time, especially yeah. now that I've had a girlfriend. Like, I always get the crazy dreams of her fucking my best friend or something like that. You know what I Uh-oh, mean? Oh, that like, would be me. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually <laughs> think you, I don't know, there was like a three or four person one where she was just bouncing around from person to person. And I like couldn't move my body or do anything to stop it. I was like, Megan, what are you doing to me? But like, you know, it's just so, it's, yeah, they say you spend like one third of your life sleeping, right? And yeah, then like, wow. one, and then like 11%. You should. Of, yeah, yeah. Should, one third of your life sleeping and then like, 15% or something like that is of REM sleep, of dreaming. And so, you know, if I'm going to take up such a significant part of my life dreaming, I kind of want to be curious about it and interested in it and like yearn for it, you know? Like I want to do the things that will kind of craft cool dreams. And lately, ever since I've been sleeping with a person, I've actually been dreaming even more often. Granted, it's usually she's in the dream more often as well. But I've just having been I've been having more dreams per night, and I've been remembering them vividly even more than I already did my whole life more as well. And you know, a lot of people talk about with you know marijuana use and stuff like that, like not being able to remember dreams. And I have so many friends who say that when they stop smoking, they remember their dreams more. But like you know, despite me smoking for years and stuff like that, like. There hasn't been a hiccup. Like, I have remembered dreams. There's never been a period where I just wasn't remembering my dreams, right? And so it's just like, you know, what? There's so many theories on them and what they could be. And, you know, you've got, you've got babies. You've got fetuses that are in the womb emitting REM wave, delta waves and stuff like that. Mm. And you're like thinking, like, what the fuck is this baby dreaming about? Know you know, they haven't even seen anything yet to our, you know, to what we say, but, you know... Uh, dreams are just this collection of sensory, you know. Dreaming about body fluids. Yeah, we're dreaming about like the, the sounds and stuff like that. You know, yeah. the amniotic sac, and they're swishing back and forth, and so they're having some type of sensory information being kind of um, taken in, and, and and dreams are this weird mix of of sensory information. You know, there's like three main theories. You know, there's like en- energy conservation theory of dreams. 
there's then there's like this memory like reconfiguration theory where it's like it thinks that like all because you know you you have dreams of people's faces that you know and remember ever seeing and these weird sensations mm-hmm. and noises and they believe that you know the reticular formation is picking up on all this different background uh, information and stimuli throughout the day that you're not even consciously attending to and that dreams are kind of a period of time for you to sort out that information and that's where the brain decides what information is worth holding on to what information to discard and that's like a lot of background stuff that you didn't even consciously take in like you know we have this area of our brain called the reticular formation and that kind of takes in and processes all those background things like you know like the humming of your AC vent and just things that you just don't even notice because you get so captivated on whatever the main focal point of your current attention span is. So it's like, and and then the, and then there's a third one. It's like similar to like energy conservation. It's just, and one of them's like based on calories and the other one's like based on like, like we wouldn't have enough calories to li- like live on for so many hours in a row. So we have to sleep to like maintain and preserve like what we have. And the two two of the theories like super similar sounding so it's not even worth like kind of differentiating them but it, it's it's just a feel that no one knows much about it's so it's so weird it's, it's such an important aspect of our life all right dude so tell me what the hell is going on with you going to bed with joe rogan in your headphones yeah. and having jo- the joe rogan experience episodes just Play, looping all night dude like what do you think what is your theory yeah. as to what is happening yeah. so I, I uh i this is actually anecdotally induced i don't forget where i heard about it i don't have headphones because that'd just be annoying but i do have my laptop on my bed like right next to me or at least like close to my ear and i heard somewhere some years ago about you know unconscious learning and your sleep and and you know the things that you listen to unconsciously while you're sleeping having some type of potential to be encoded and just yeah and just be and be um be encoded basically and, and be and be possibly possible to retrieve it at a later and from and time later point in time so i i didn't really pay, i knew about it and i think about it all the time and i still fall asleep to like shitty rap music or like shitty TV shows and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I started thinking like, if it's possible for me to even encode the slightest bit of information, why not do it and empower myself with knowledge even more, you know, and just give myself even more knowledge without even really having to try, you know, just doing this unconsciously, just doing it in my sleep. So when I'm well aware enough if I'm not like coming home, like fucking half asleep, about to knock out, like when I think about it and I lay down and I'm still a little awake, you know, I set up some th- something new, something interesting. Sometimes I replay something I really like, and I set it up, and I doze off to it rather quickly. It's also it's also become a focal point for me to not have to think about sleep when I'm trying to go to sleep because that's the ultimate enemy to someone mm-hmm. who's trying to go to sleep is to think about I how much they that. want to sleep. I've luckily learned that at a really young age and I've been a great sleeper. <laughs> like I fall asleep no matter the day, time of day, just can knock out all I need. All you need is a focal point, and that's for anyone. You just need something. To help you drift your mind, it's as cliche as it sounds. You know, you need to direct the attention to something else. You need to visualize yourself doing something that you really like. You need to f- reorganize your day, your upcoming day. Be like, all right, so today I'm going to be doing this, and then from there I'm going to do this. And there's just so many little techniques that help you kind of reorganize your attention. And then next thing you know, you're drifting off. So it's become a focal point for me. So I'm like getting a little passive learning right before I sleep consciously. And then you know, I was just caught myself like wake up in the morning. And just like 
have like a single line from like you know like for, or wake up at four in the morning go to like fucking pause there or something because it's too loud and then go back to sleep and then wake up that morning and remember like one of the last concepts that he was talking about as I was like uh. half asleep you know like 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 some evolutionary concept or something like subtle you know something that's like quick and easy to recite I just remember being like holy shit did I hear that at four in the morning last night and that's usually the type of stuff that gets encoded the things where I wake up for a second and I go back to sleep and then I like just and I just remember that little bit of time right before like I was you know dozing off and stuff so it's really just a, a better alternative to watching TV it's like you know I'm still kind of facilitating some type of learning process at at all times of the day not all times of the day I believe firm believer in incremental kind of uh, brain deading so I, I wouldn't call it brain deading but I don't like to I, I view it as an expenditure of energy and attention and resources, you know? And I think, yeah, a person could go every hour, minute, or most minutes of their day directing their attention to production or serious focus on something. But I think it's healthy for the brain to have these incremental kind of breaks. I talked about Definitely. it. I talked about it in terms of lifestyle, in terms of diet. And stuff like that on the last podcast with the incremental day where I just have a sweet and just say, fuck the gym. Like, you know, I'm just going to eat what I want today and kind of do stuff like that. But I also just think with attention and, and mental reserves, you need to have moments of time where you're doing something mindless or like mind numbing even almost so that you're not having to think about anything. Like you're just purely consuming for entertainment and you're allowing your brain almost to like kind of restore and just and just kind of sleep. And it's just, it's one of those like mental kind of energy conservation theories in a way. So I have that and I happen to just my, one of my ways to do it is watch NBA or, or watch, you know, Fortnite highlights. Like I literally say, all right, I just spent five hours, you know, on campus all day or something like that. Or I just got out of work or something where I just was going hard with my focusing and my complex, you know, mind trying to figure things out and stuff like that. And I go, all right it's time to decompress for a little bit. Yeah. And then I just try to make sure that I'm not spending so much of the time decompressing. Exactly. It's all this proportionate thing. You know, it's like I have X amount of hours up, so I'm going to spend X hours decompressing today. The rest of the hours will be spent doing X, Y, and Z. You know, it's kind of just broken down. It's broken down undefinitively, indefinitively in my mind. So it's like I have a general idea of how much time I'm going to spend on each facet of the different facets of life. You know, there's work, play romance as I always yes. as I always talk about I feel that way as well I watch Impractical Jokers mm-hmm. a lot of the times I literally watch Impractical Jokers for health reasons mm-hmm. I say that all the time that's what I'm saying because it's like a yes, mental health thing yeah you know laughing is really healthy people that laugh more live longer there's studies on that how much of it is true I don't know but I think there's a good amount of it that's true um, and, but then also yeah if you have if you're pedal to the metal all the time you will literally crash. And I saw that personally in terms of my diet mm-hmm. for like two years, dude. I was I was almost spotless. And on. yeah, like a long time, almost spotless. And I got this reputation for better or worse of being that that hard ass with the with the, the diet. diet. Yeah. yeah. And and then, you know, starting starting in May, I started having these tremors of, of eating worse than I've ever 
eaten in my life for a couple of days at a time. I, I, like I, I would have a real, I would have, I would cheat like every now and then, and then it would be like two days in a row and then three days. And, and then last week I just cheated for literally eight days in a row. I, <laughs> it's I more than a week, buddy. <laughs> well, yeah, I, ate, I ate like you would not believe I had our favorite chicken Parmesan from Cafe Milano on so Fifth nice. Ave. I had it two meals in a row with the spaghetti on top and all that cheese, the extra Parmesan, pour extra olive oil on top. Granted, olive oil is healthy, but... To a degree. But yeah, but I and and I drank every single day, and I really don't. I you know I'll drink twice a month, Mm -hmm. and I just drank seven eight days in a row, and so I I have seen that. Did it feel? Do you feel now that now it's over? Do you feel like okay that was that was for the better that 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 was an enjoyable time? I do. Yeah, I do because. I think a lot of it, though, does have to do with my age, being 21. I, I didn't gain 10 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I gained three. <laughs> and then, and then the last two days of the eating like crap, I started skipping breakfast because I knew, I, I knew I was three pounds over. And I started skipping breakfast and to sort of control things and... And then I, you know, so by the end of the trip, I was actually, I, like, I literally, I did not eat that much the last two, three days. Yes. But I still ate, like, crap, and I still drank all the time. And by the end of the trip, I was actually down one pound. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I have this, I, I have this, like, conflict when it comes to weight loss and gain. I was telling you about this the other day with Megan. It's like, anything, if it's not outside of, like, a five- to seven, you know, seven or seven to ten pound range. I'm always like wondering, like you know, did you? Is that really indicative of mm. much? You know, is that is that just a general body? Like so many people become so uh, scale obsessed and expect Definitely. that number to be so fixed. And you know, each day they want to be one fourteen and just look and hope that that one fourteen stays. And then they see they're one sixteen and it's two pounds over, and it really could be their clothes or water weight or so many little things. But then they're thinking all about their diet and they're going, no, I'm not. Just gonna breakfast today. I'm not gonna. I'm only gonna have one meal today, or something like that. You know, it's like I think people are too into the those micro numbers, like way until it's seven pounds or more. You know, up net plus or negative before yeah. you really start taking anything from it. Yeah. And I don't think you should check it every day either. I th- I think that's a little unhealthy and a little obsessive uh-huh. I've compulsive. In like a month. Yeah, I go that period of time. Uh, that's probably the average for me, and. I, I, it's sort of like checking the stock market every yeah. every checking how your portfolio yeah. is doing. That's a perfect every yeah, single perfect day. Comparison. And you get all nervous and and upset and especially now with the market being like way down. Like like dude, I God bless the market. I you know people are telling me it's not going well and and I checked it. I like I I knew I started seeing like it was going bad like. Four, three, four months ago, mm-hmm. and I stopped checking it, and so I check it like twice a month now. Oh I, wow! I actually just happened to check it today. I was like, you know what? I should probably, I should probably check. So I did check, and I saw Apple at this amazing price, and I bought like a bunch more. Uh-huh. You know, and so, so Never which bad is buy. which is yeah, exactly. Which is which is what <laughs> you do. Anywhere. Which is you buy more mm-hmm. in a in a time of turmoil like this. Absolutely. 
uh, that's that's how you win. It's, it's how you become financially free. A, a recession, it's not a, officially a recession yet, but a recession is this close. It's prob- yeah. yeah. It's it is the single greatest opportunity to become financially free. It's one of those times you get things on sale. I really want to put some money in it. You know, yeah. I just I'm so adamant about low risk decisions and and, and risk in, in, in stocks is there's always gonna be risk, you know. But for me the risk is more my lack of knowledge. So I don't want to take that risk. Until well, yeah, you have to know. Informed. You have to know exactly yeah. what you're doing. So if you I don't know what you're doing, you're going to get hurt. I uh, always recommend. So that's why I, I, before I jump into stocks, I'm really going to take yeah. some more time to read. You know, I got a couple friends who give me some really good books. Yeah, and I'm going to just read for <laughs> for quite a while. Yeah, I always recommend Tony Robbins' Unshakable, which is all about. That's right. You, you did tell me in 180, that. 200 pages, you learn everything you need to know about investing, mm-hmm. and so that's. That book has been very profitable for me. Yeah, investment in, ge- in general. I, I, I wouldn't say that I know a lot. I think I have a good feel for investment. Like I, I have a good idea when something's going to be able to make money and be profitable, and when something's. Or not is that worth. your self-serving bias? And it, it could be, you know, right? But but statistically, you know, speaking, like I haven't invested in something and been hurt, you know, and been and been killed yet. So it's like I'm trying to find out. More with my the the smaller net worth that I do have, ways to invest you know outside of your classic ones you know like real estate and and yeah. and stocks and I guess crypto can now be technically included in that conversation. I'm trying to find you know what are things that are easy not easy but less people think of it to buy and then resell at a higher price at, you know at a different time stuff like that. And obviously you know you got jewelry. And gold and, and yeah. things. Like that's what I'm saying. So I'm trying to find the next thing, the next like lower, you know, low marketed, you know, niche type of thing. And I just I'm always looking out for that that type of investment. You know, like I'm trying to always find that that investment that's not so popular just yet. Well, okay, and, yeah, I I agree. Um, but so anyway, back to the point, <laughs> which was which was. You know, not checking the stock market. It's not healthy to do that. You know, like I logged in. I'm like, oh, I lost $3,000 since last time. Uh-oh. And I don't take too much stock in it. Whatever. But then that goes back to the point, you know, you should check the scale every day. But that goes back to the point, you should give yourself that break. And and last time we were on the podcast, it, you should give yourself that break in terms of eating. You should have that cheat meal every now and then. Last time we were on the podcast, I believe I said it on the air that I say I go back and forth with moderation. Yeah. And yeah. at the time, at that time, my philosophy was moderation is for the weak. I love it. And but and, and it's it's a really good tweetable. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you love it. Yeah. And you have some great tweets. But yeah. <laughs> But yeah. I, there's again, there's truth to both, and I still go back and forth with it. But I, I'm shifting more towards the opposite in that, you know, that that cliche, cliche everything in moderation. It's, it's truth, maybe moderation is a little bit healthy sometimes, it, it, but moderation is subjective as well. Maybe it depends on what you what you think is moderation. Does moderation to you mean, oh, I'll just have one one beer at dinner every night? Yeah. Or does moderation to you mean like, 
All right, I'll let I'll, I'll have that chicken parmesan with a couple of glasses of wine. I'll have that one one or maybe even two days a week. You know, months, yeah, or, or a month or a yeah. month. I was being generous yeah, and realistic generous. for the average yeah. lesson. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's what I'm going back and forth with. With moderation, and and this is just kind of think making me think about something that I think about a lot. I always think about the people who really don't moderate their spending habits Ooh. or think that they're making yeah, they're making X income and as long as they don't spend all of X income, then they're living life to the fullest, you know, and, and having a great life. And something that I always I'm always wondering if it's a if it's a flaw or if it's gonna end up saving me, which I know deep down I think it's gonna end up making me a much more successful person. But this quality I've had for so long is every dollar I've ever spent I've always had this cost, you know, benefit analysis ran in my head, you know, what proportion is this item or dollars that I'm about to spend, what proportion is that to my overall net worth and what overall kind of reward and, and happiness and enjoyment and am I receiving from this and does that ratio really add up and I've created such like a, a distance between the number and the quality of experience now where it's like I don't really spend money on much things because I don't find it worth my money. You know, I did those $25 dinners that, you know, people who are making minimum wage income go out on, you know, a couple times a week because they want to have date night and stuff. Like, yeah, like I have determined that those are not worth my money and I can't be doing that. Otherwise, I'll never save any money, you know. So I've created such a regiment kind of schedule, like in terms of the way I spend my money. It's like all on food, basically. And it's very like cheap proportions you know like i'm constantly getting the six dollar meal and the four dollar meal because i work at carabas and can get things 50 percent off and stuff like that and it's like i always say it's like you know i should have been born six feet tall and i should have been born jewish because <laughs> i i just i spend money that way naturally and it's just there's just always this analysis going on and you know my my wife is either gonna love it or hate it my current girlfriend i have no clue what her perspective on is it she she supposedly is okay with it, but girls like to do that. Girls like to be spoiled, you know. That's, that's another thing that I've learned. But mm -hmm. I just find I find it very difficult to watch people who I know are making three hundred dollars a week go out to the bar and have a sixty dollar bar night and find that you know you know once a week to, and find that like okay like because it was such a good night like no matter how good my bar night is going to be, it's never going to be worth one fifth of my overall weekly income. You know, that's one seventh of my week and. That just that doesn't work out with what my future life intentions are. So, uh, that's like the advice that I give everyone who I see just spending stupidly. I go, dude, think about how much money you're spending. I want you to compare that to your overall net worth, like that number, that overall number that you know you're worth, and think about how many days in a row you could spend like this before you'd all be all out of it, and like how much would you really get out of it, and like. Yeah, you should definitely have those incremental things, like I say. So, like, I should spend some money every once in a while, and I gotta learn to do that. But I think people are just, people overvalue their experiences. And I think a lot of that's attributed to the, the anecdotal stories that they're told ahead of time and the pictures that are painted on social media of certain places and certain cruise lines and going to Nobu in Miami for sushi, even though it's cost $200 for <laughs> the, the couple rolls that you could get for $25 and stuff like that. It's like, you know, things are just so overvalued and people are just living in this in this in this trickery. Yeah. Where they're just like deceiving themselves into thinking that's worth that amount of money. Definitely. And you can't 
you just can't be spending all that money on stupid shit. To eat out is just so financially stupid. Like I, I started eating out this with this girl who's who's a really great <laughs> friend. I like I really love her, but I you know I started eating out way too much with her. And I was like talking to Steve Jordan on the phone, and I was like, "Dude, I this is just so stupid. I'm spending so much Spent money. Like, what do, I, every week. <laughs> what do I? This is eating out is expensive, and like I never eat out, and I'm finally seeing like how stupid how it is. And he's up. like, he's like, dude, yeah, you got it. Yeah. And I just think it's so. I I think it's so stupid with the amount of money. I mean, you could. With the amount that people eat out, they don't realize that they can afford Whole Foods, a full grocery list at Whole Foods every single week mm-hmm. and stock up there. If they just stopped eating out and they would save money by shopping at this supposedly really expensive place, Whole Foods. And and here's the secret. It's it's not as expensive as people mm-hmm. make it out to be. It has this reputation. I really don't it's like think somehow it's gotten I'm there every week. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad. And And some people could argue too that something to be gained in the convenience of just stopping at Chipotle. I weigh and out that in my dollars. And there, exactly. Now, there definitely, yeah. definitely is sometimes. Uh-huh. Now, for me, it's different because I cook not only for my physical health and whatnot, but I cook for my mental health. It is a, it is one of those, one of those things for me. It's one of those, those... It's very healthy for my mind. It's one of those peaceful, peaceful habits. It's, it's a very things. meditative practice for me. That and and so to lose that is is also a loss. Not only when I eat out, am I losing money? Is money coming out of my pocket? But when I eat out, I'm losing the intangible effects that it had. That cooking has. That's a very ancient experience. You know, humans have been yeah. cooking. For a long, long time. Like, that's something that I feel like humans have been connected to for an incredible... Basically, forever. Because for as long as there's been meat that we've been trying to eat, Mm. we learned at a very early time in existence that we couldn't eat it raw. So we had to start cooking it. I bet some. I bet a lot of people tried. Yeah, that's something a lot of people tried. They're like, oh, crap. A lot of people failed. (laughs) Those damn cavemen. (laughs) But yeah, man, cooking cooking is one of those things. I, I, I know one day I'll I'll get into it and I'll really love it. You know, my dad was a chef. And, oh yeah. And and I and I definitely see a future for it. But at the moment, I definitely am one of those people who are spending, yeah. including that time component as a as a thing. And it's an art form too, Mister Psychology. To finish up, <laughs> the new you've got this newly minted psychology degree. That's why I call you that now. Yeah. And so. I want to know what your favorite bias is because I love, there's all sorts of biases. I love the false consent bias. I love the self-serving mm-hmm. bias. What is your favorite bias? I think my favorite bias is the classic self-serving bias because it's just a classic example of people wanting to take credit for everything when it's good and wanting to discredit themselves completely when it's a bad representation. And so I just think it's like a classic purest example of human nature and then i think everything else can almost like trickle down from that because it's like humans want to attach themselves to the good and detach from the bad you know you have the basking it's called like the burging or something it's like basking in reflected glory and that's when like it describes like um sports fans like they say we won the game even though they had nothing to do with the game they played the the, the athletes played the game and you watched it at home but people who identify with that group they bask in the reflected glory and they say we won the game 
and then they cut off from reflected losses when the team lost the game. So it's like, you know, they won't say, oh, we lost that game. They'd be like, oh, they lost that game. Mm. You know, so it's like, it just goes to perfectly show how humans want to take whatever they can and connect it to themselves as good and stay away from whatever is a bad perception or evaluation. Definitely, definitely. How do you overcome now the false consensus bias? And I said, I know there's some different terms for this, but the false consensus bias, and I'm sure I'll just say it to clarify, but uh, from my understanding, it is knowing it per, the things that you know, you expect other people to know. Uh-huh. And it's hard for you to really imagine what it's like to not, to not know what you know. You think everyone should know it and you kind of get frustrated a little bit when people Absolutely. don't know what you know. It's not con- What you know is not consensus. It's false consensus. So how do you overcome the false consensus bias? Uh, I feel like I don't. Mm. I feel like I'm constantly struggling with, with me going, what the fuck? Like, well, how did that person not realize, like, know not to do that ahead of time or like something like that? Like, there's always like things that I find so obvious that I think everyone else just knows. And it always just reminds me, I go, holy shit, how can someone be living in a life where they're not like, you know, aware of biases, or, like the human biases are like aware of like these little things that I found so like critical to like my life and the way I kind of go about my life. Definitely, definitely down for another social. Um, these things I found so critical, so life-changing, but also so common sensey almost in a way it's very hard for me to imagine people living life like that so I almost usually convince myself that even though I've been formally educated on these matters that everyone has like a general idea of most of these things that I've just read more about than you know a normal common layman who's not studying psychology so I haven't overcome it honestly I, I definitely struggle with that and I think one of the only ways you can overcome it is by like stereotyping the crowd that you're or a person that you're associating with and you're not really overcoming with it, you're playing like a guessing game then because you're guessing that they either know or don't know about some certain context of information and knowledge that you're thinking about. So I haven't, I haven't overcome it to, to answer your question. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, it's very hard. Now I do, this is not my final question, but I do have to, it leads into my question. I do have to acknowledge you because I always think to myself that you are the master at giving people validation <laughs> and, and you just make people feel good to the point where, and I, I, I had talked about this phenomenon to a point in our last episode mm-hmm. a couple of months ago, you have the knack for making everyone feel like you are their best friends. And so I have to ask you then, what is your self-talk? in your head <laughs> sound like when you That's are a great question. when you are searching for some sort of when, when you are interacting with people when you are giving them validation when I you are trying to you, be interested in them because that's you, a key being interested in them I give you a really multi-layered answer yeah. to that question so it's completely contingent upon my relationship with the person will determine like one of few finite ways that I self-talk right so if I don't know the person at all and I'm trying to like, you know, consciously trying to establish this high level rapport and this high level comfortability, then with every, it's like a transaction. It's like with everything that I do that I know is positively reinforcing, when they reciprocate or when they, when they re-engage with it in a positive way, 
I go, yeah, like the self talk goes, all right, good. We, you know, we've, we've, we've broken down like the mm. first barrier of like, of uncomfortability or something like that. You know, like, when, when I, when I'm first engaging with people, it is a systematic kind of process like that, you know, but with people that I know where I like, you know, like how this whole validation thing and making people feel good is almost natural. Then there's really not that much self talk because I'm really engul- engaged and indulged in their needs and wants and stuff like that. And I want them to be happy. So I'm not really reconciling with myself back in the back of my head, like, oh yes, yeah, say this because it's gonna make them feel really good and stuff like that. But I think that that's just very. Sometimes I know someone's down, down and out, and like a certain statement could bring them right back up, and then I have the self talk of, oh, say this to them because you know that they have a lot of emotional tie mm. to that subject, and that that could potentially really uplift them. So I guess it is. There is like this little. It's a little systematic robotic self-talk going on with me where it's like I'm like observing what they may want or need and then the little guy in the back of my mind is like dish out a little bit of this and dish out a little bit of that and stuff <laughs> like that. But it's not always like that. It's, and more often than not, it's not like that. But there are, I think there are times, especially under first impression type circumstances where I'm really like engaged in this kind of process in a systematic way of communication. Mm. Now, very random question, but there's a reason I'm asking this. Do you ever feel kind of stupid? Like, I think you're oh, yeah. very smart. Do you ever sort of doubt yourself? Yeah, I feel very stupid 99% of the time. Mm. I, I probably only feel smart when someone much smarter than me, like on a sociologically defined way, like someone like a doctorate, tells me that I am a smart boy. Like in the most simplistic way... That is like the only time that I feel actually like, ooh, I could be, you know, above the average or something like that. You know, other than that, I'm constantly saying, wow, I should really be reading more up on this subject. Or I'm always asking those really hard to answer questions where I'm like, holy shit, I don't know anything about life. And, and that's, that we, even the specialists and all specialists really don't know much about life because it's so much to life. But yeah, I just, I'm always feeling that way. You know, I'm always feeling like there's so much more that I have yet to learn and I've only scratched the surface of something. I think it's only in those moments where the authority figure or the higher superior figure really validates me that I get that little glimpse of, ooh, I'm special. And that goes as a testament to like, you know, the power that teachers have over us, you know, and positive reinforcement. Like if every teacher and every parent kind of told their kid that they're really special and they could achieve a lot, you know, they talk about how like giving every kid a trophy kind of like is a bad thing and that's that I agree yes, with but yeah. like the positive reinforcing comments even though a kid might not be doing well in school I think definitely has an effect because those are the times that I really feel mm-hmm. the emotional like like that just the you know, emotional rush of, ooh I'm a good boy <laughs> like <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a smart boy and stuff like that yeah I so I asked I did ask that question because lately I have been feeling you know, especially when I when I listen back on my very old content, mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, like you idiot, you just sound dumb. So, I I really think that sometimes I feel I'm, stupider. To yeah. be honest, <laughs> I feel stupider now than I have in recent times. Even Why? I've been more educated now more than ever. I just feel like I lose. Like I feel like there is more like content that I was like really passionately connected to that I held so much at the forefront of my memory bank. And now it's all there and it's like deeply stored because I've taken so much of the bulk of my psychology classes like in, in the last a year and a half, like, like over you know, a year ago. 
So I feel like a lot of the stuff that I was super interested in, even though there's always new interesting interest developing, the things that I might have been really well-rounded and well-educated on have officially been kind of pushed to the back of the library and again dusty. And now there hasn't been like a lot of new information that I've been compounding. So it's like I, I don't have anything that's like quickly available in my mind to like reassure me that I'm this expert or this, this well-knowledgeable person on a certain topic. So that really just comes to me reading. I need to read a new book, mm-hmm. which I am. So... That's all good. 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 What's what would you say that was again? I forgot yesterday. I'm currently reading Five Philosophers for Fun, which is just some very old ancient philosophy, like very basic, like uh, Platonic ethics and stuff like that, and just or Plato's ethics, however you want to describe it, and things like that. But I really uh, there's a there's a book about stocks that was my next actual go getter, and that's called uh, Get Rich Carefully mm-hmm. by uh, Jim. Something, not Jim Carrey. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the next one on the on the shelf. Five philosophers is kind of just read just when I'm bored and I'm trying to have like some existential crisis or something like that. Okay, next rapid fire question, and this is a new question of mine that I'm totally going to be using with everybody. You're the first to hear oh, it. If you were to, because it goes, I, you know, I'm always passionate about education. If you were to teach a class at a university, mm-hmm. either of your own creation or already in existence, what would that class be? Now, you might say psychology, and if it is psychology... Oh, no, I've, got, oh, okay. I've got a specified, a specified sure. subject, um, if that's the end of yeah, the Yeah, so that, what would that class be? Yeah. Uh, my, it would be, it'd be, it'd be group dynamics and communication. And that would be just the mm. most passionate, interesting thing that I would want to teach. And I'm not even well, you know, informed on that topic at this time. That's just something that I find most interesting. So it'd be like the social psychology of group and group formation and leadership uh, emergence and kind of communication patterns that work best in groups and how groups are formed in general and how groups kind of segregate and click up and all that is entailed with that. But there's so many things that I would want to teach. Just depends on what my knowledge bank would, yeah. would be, you know. If I was an astronomer or something like that, I'd love to teach fucking <laughs> astrophysics or some shit. Who knows? I do. I know we, we've talked about it before. I do think professor might be in your future oh, for sure. <laughs> I, would, I would like to do yeah. it once I'm financially secure because uh-huh. they're not paying our educators. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot, buddy. Mm. This is the first time... In a very long time that you've been in a long-term relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and and this person just so happened to walk in on us right now and is sitting right over there. What is the number one thing you have learned from being in a long-term relationship? Because I, I you know, as soon, when I get into, you know, a sort of relationship and, you know, as I go along, I learned, I, I, I got into something a, a little, like a month ago, and I started learning, seeing things about myself that I'd never seen before. Yeah, this is the uh, the longest relationship I've been in. So it's probably the only real one, honestly. But I think uh, the biggest thing I've learned is you got to be a lot more selfless and a lot a lot less self-indulged. <laughs> and, uh, and I have a huge, I just am so self-indulged. And I'm always thinking about what TV show I'm going to enjoy. And if I let her pick it, how shitty it's going to be. <laughs> and so it's always a, it's always a pro, a weighing out of pros and cons. And you got you to gotta sacrifice what's a pro for you sometimes for your partner's pro. 
that might be a con for you, even though it's not usually a con. But I'm not good at that. I'm still <laughs> still figuring that one out. And uh, and uh, to be, I think another giant thing is to be less judgmental of your partner. Mm. I think we're all judgmental and opinionated, but you know you gotta refrain certain things or or say them in different ways. And uh, or or not say them at all, but I'm not a believer of that. I think that I think that judgments and opinions should be expressed if they're felt. Oh, I do too. But I think I think you just gotta you gotta be less. <laughs> you gotta find the tone, the tonality, and the ah, setting. There's a way to frame yeah, it too. There's, a, there's an appropriate way of giving an opinion on something, and and it's a mastery and an art form that I've uh, that I haven't perfected. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Natilli. We got to wrap this up. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on once again. It's been a pleasure, as always. Absolutely. Having a conversation brother. with you, sharing a conversation with you. Cheers. And cheers, my friend. To a great night. To many more successes. Yeah. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Growth Mindset University podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, I would really appreciate it if you could leave us a quick five-star rating in iTunes. All you have to do is grab your iPhone or iPad, open up the Apple Podcast app, hit the search tab, search the show, Growth Mindset University, or just search my name, Jordan Paris, tap the show, scroll all the way to the bottom, and then just hit that fifth star, and that helps us tremendously in ways that you could never even imagine it means the absolute world to me when people do this i would be eternally grateful if you do that we're pushing a hundred ratings right now and it's really making a difference for this show and of course if you've not already subscribed to the show just make sure you do that wherever you're listening to so that you don't miss that next episode i know you're not going to want to miss it And you only heard this episode today because I thought it was valuable enough to post here. So if you want to share that value with your friends, your family, go ahead and do that. Share this episode with them. Take a screenshot. Send it to them. Take a screenshot. Put it on your Instagram story and tag me at J underscore Paris underscore so that I know you're listening and I can get back to you and put a face to the name. Now, if you're ready to really take your life to the next level, My book is on Amazon. It is also called Growth Mindset University. It's all about how to learn anything, how to take control of your life, and how to fulfill your vision of success. And you're not just supporting me and this channel by getting this book, but you're also getting this awesome book that's going to lay out the rules and principles to design your life full of joy and fulfillment. All right. I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn and grow to give.